Long, way outside for the three. He's got it. He's got it. It's good. Season for Texas, they finished 34 and 0. The number one ranked team from beginning to end, winning their first NCAA championship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me is an equally somber Ishmael Johnson here as. The season has wrapped up for the Texas basketball teams-ish. Well, except for Texas A&M, who we'll talk about. They are playing in the NIT, so any Aggie fans listening out there, we will we will talk about that. But as far as the NCAA tournament goes, we are done. But Ish, um, how are you feeling after this past weekend? It is Monday morning. Are, are you feeling okay? I'm feeling all right. Yeah, I think we, we, we started last year's podcast. We started the podcast last year. Um, just a little bit over. I guess we missed our technically missed our year anniversary, um, but we got spoiled. You know, we got spoiled, man. We had we had a great run in the women's team by some teams that we didn't expect to make it, and then of course we had two Final Four teams in the men, had Baylor winning it all, and then we just kind of we, we just we just got used to that. We got used. We were having the standard up here. We expected to be talking about it, this all these teams until the first week of April, and then you know Houston comes out and you know plays. Uh, I think I think what they wanted to play, which is the ugliest game, one of the ugliest games I've ever seen, um, and then lose. And then, of course, the Texas women come and, for the most part, play pretty solid. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Stanford just kind of does what Stanford does, and they, they look really good as well and prove why they're the reigning champs. So now we're kind of left left doing the Ricky Bobby, you know, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I'm just going to watch these final four games. The men's side is the bluest blue blood thing I've ever seen. Bruh, like, I know. Like, I think every team in there has won three championships at least. I think that's what. Uh, that yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah. So that, that'll be in New Orleans. Uh, so shout out to Louisiana for hosting that. And Coach K, maybe we can get some voodoo to stop him. Um, I, was about, I was about to say, and you know, the execs for CBS are loving this. I mean, oh you know, it's your, your, that's what your parent network. So you guys are just raking in the cash with that. Just, UNC. Yeah. yeah they, they just keep sending me emails with checks, blank checks. And I'm like, okay, fine. I know I'll, I'll do it. They said, thank coach K. I said, I will actually <laughs> for, just for that. I appreciate coach K, but um, you mentioned it. Houston men's ends up losing in the elite eight to Villanova 50 to 44. Um, in a game that they were favored by two or three points and going into it, I was a little like, okay, that's, that seems like a lot against the Villanova team that we talked about in the last, last podcast. And I thought we did a, a great job. Cause I usually go back and listen to almost all of our podcasts. Like I thought we did a great job laying out what could have happened. And it's pretty much exactly what did happen. Villanova was comfortable playing Houston's pace but I don't, I don't like saying that either team was comfortable here in a game where it was 50 to 44. Right. And both teams shot like 28%. Like there was very, there was no comfort on this court. But Villanova at least didn't turn the ball over as much. Their defense was able to really bother Houston, unlike Arizona. 
And as a result, Houston just didn't have enough. They didn't have enough. And this, this, I don't want to say that this was the ceiling that we talked about without um, Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark, Mm -hmm. but obviously without them, there, there comes a point where when you're missing shots and Kyler Edwards, isn't the guy bailing you out. There's not another guy on this team that's going to consistently bail you out. So I, I think what we said last time was right. The ceiling, I, I don't want to put a ceiling on this team because they could have won this game. Like they were right there within the whole time, three, uh, three, four, five, six. But at the end of the day, if they have Marcus Sasser, they probably win this game. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I think that, I mean, you could look at a couple stats and, and kind of just like tell the game, tell the whole point of this game, right? You can look at Villanova shooting 32% from two, right? I believe 28% from the floor the whole game. And if you look at that by itself, you're like, Houston wins, right? Like you, you look at that, you look at that stat line alone. You say Houston wins, but then conversely, one for twenty from three from Houston, like that's that's the game, right? Like, and I, I think the most frustrating part was that there weren't even like they weren't even like bad shots. They were good looks, like especially towards the end. I believe it was uh, one of those last flurries um, with like under a minute to go, where it was like kicked out and there was Jamal Shedd who had a perfect look at the top of the key after like a scramble and like just just you know misses and it was it was that kind of night where good looks you're stopping them or slowing them down at least and you just can't get that shot that you need um and I think that's what I think that's what to me when you when we look back at this game we're gonna see like man that there was so much left on the table there. I think if you're Houston, um, I think that's what makes this loss kind of more heartbreaking because you, you watch the team kind of get all the breaks, get all the, hit all the shots, right. Get all the stops they needed. And then like in one, one 40 minute period, you know, they got none of the shots <laughs> and Villanova. I think, I think, you know, I think it's accurate to say that they looked it, it I will say, yeah, it's accurate to say they didn't, they didn't look comfortable, but they definitely weren't phased yes. by the physicality. Um, I tweeted out that the difference between Villanova and like an Arizona or uh, an Illinois, which used to be, if Villanova looks comfortable taking those shots, the, shot, the, the tough shots that you give them. Um, I always look back at that, I think it was their last title team, the um, – the 2018 team? Uh, Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo team as like, to me, that was like the purest form of basketball for me. Like you watch that team play and they were taking confident threes, transition threes. You know, it was all about confidence and it's all about like execution and motion on the perimeter. And like, they're taking threes that like you, uh, 10 years ago, you'd be like, that's a dumb shot. Like, why are you taking that? And that's what Jay Wright does. Like he, he, he has teams that are like, he gives them the confidence to where, like, if you have a hand in your face, no, 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 still, that's a good shot. Like, do you feel confident? Pull that up, you know? Um, and that was kind of it. Obviously, they're not that clinical of a three-point shooting team, this this version of the team, but they're they're so – they looked like – even if they missed, they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, that's a good shot. I'm going to take that again, you know? Um, and the other thing is <laughs> – I think uh, I got to credit uh, Gary Parrish in the Ion Basketball podcast. They're kind of hammering this point home. 15 and 15 from the line. Yeah, that's it. Like this, there's a chance that this Villanova team goes down as the best free throw shooting team of all time. Like, I think if it ended right at the seat, if their season ended in the final four, they would be. 
Um, I think they're shooting 83% as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, let me see if I have it exactly. Yeah, 83% exactly as a team. And I think the record is 82.3 or something with like Harvard back in the 80s. Like, that's the other thing is like Houston's, you know, Houston's going to foul you a lot because they're aggressive. And, but if you're hitting 15 to 15, it doesn't matter. Like, sure, yeah, sure, let's go. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll, <laughs> we'll uh, absolutely slow this game down to a halt and just kind of nick away at these points and come away with three points. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, frustrating loss, but I mean, I don't know. That's kind of, that, to me, that's the difference between like the continuity of Jay Wright's program at Villanova. Yeah. I, I was thinking this. I think I texted um, one of my, one of my friends. I was like, Villanova just looks so annoying to guard at all times. And that that's the biggest thing is, is Houston did, did their job. I mean, I, I really don't think Houston played that poor of a game besides shooting one of 20 from three, mm-hmm. like, and, and nine of 14 from the free throw line against a team that goes 15 of 15 is going to be tough as well, but only 10 turnovers. I mean, four blocks, six deals, against a Villanova team that just jump stops you to death and just doesn't really turn the ball over or get rushed in any way. Uh, but yeah, I, it was, it was a, it was a tough game to watch, right? Like we were just sitting here, like, can somebody like make the ball go in the hole at some point? <laughs> but um, as somebody who has lived through the North Texas, Louisiana tech game, where it was 42 to 36, this was nothing to me. I was texting me about uh, does anybody in Texas play aesthetically pleasing basketball like or something like that? Like, can somebody like, besides true. us? Like, we had SMU this year, I guess. Like, can no, we get somebody true. else here that that plays basketball that wants to play some offense here? Um, I'm just. I would. Be, I, would I would kill to have our own version of like a Jay Wright, right? Just like, can we just have somebody just like, Iowa? Creighton something like can we just get some type of and like I can't even use Baylor's team last year because that was just like ISO that wasn't like you know like a fluid flowing and all that was also like a historically great team I'm just talking like normal offense offensive style team but hey man I've defense wins championships we know this I mean this is a team that has completely over overstepped our expectations of it Houston so want to continue to give them credit but that was just so funny i went through thinking about it. i was just like north texas houston texas state utep i mean just go down the list of like coaches where it's like defense 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 it's like okay like some rice and then the one coach that i actually want to get fired is scott para who plays offense and so i am just a walking contradiction at this moment <laughs> But hey, anyway. Uh, by the way, how like how 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 much of a blow it is for Villanova losing oh, Justin Moore? Like the game's won, was like thirty seconds left, and he, you know, blows his eight tear base, tears his ACL right then and there. Um, was it? It was his Achilles, I thought. Or was it? Was it torn Achilles? It was, oh, yeah, I watched the replay. It was. Um, was it? Was it? I don't even know. Was it Moore or Dixon? One of their best players. Just, anyway, was, uh, wait for Villanova. Yeah. Yeah, it was Justin Moore. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now they're gonna play um uh Kansas without their best was second best player so that's just like a huge and they huge, already, like huge uh slap in the face to kind of their their run yeah and they already only play six players like that's been their thing the whole season is they don't have anybody beyond those six it's right. Chris Ar- Archidiacono who I don't know how he sees the floor in any game 
Like he might as well be a walk-on to me. That last name, buddy. He's got to keep that legacy going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Jay's like, all right, all right. It is three minutes left in the he, first he half. Keeps, uh, no, he keeps getting confused. He's like, oh, Archer Diak. Yo, we got Archer Diak on the team. <laughs> no, he says Ryan, and Chris just like doesn't even correct him. He just runs up to the scores table. Like, I'm here, coach. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> he gets his haircut the same as Ryan <laughs> every time. He's like, I'll take the Ryan. Like, man, Ryan's falling off this year. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him, man. He really can't shoot anymore. He really can't do anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, Villanova, I, I think Kansas will, will be fine against Villanova without um with that injury. So uh we'll see. But yeah, great season from, from Houston. I uh, will do like full off-season type stuff for all the teams and whatnot. But um, yeah, great season from Houston. It really sucks because I Taze Moore kept shooting, and I didn't have a problem with really any shot that he took. But, man, like there were some of those transition bucket shots that he usually finishes that just didn't go in, some drives that didn't go in. I mean, and Kyler Edwards, if you want to get specific players, I mean, one for 12 for eight, you can't have that at this point in the year. I, th- I feel like his missed shots early in the game kind of set the tone. Yeah. And this goes back to what I said in the beginning, is not having Marcus Sasser to kind of be like, oh, don't worry, I got you. Like, we're, we're good. Like, mm-hmm. Jamal Shedd can't shoot. You know, he can do a lot of things really, really well, but he can't shoot. Uh, Taze Moore has to kind of get to the rim as well. So when you take that away, and Fabian White, not for nothing as well, didn't really do anything. Two points, one of five shooting, 27 minutes, four fouls. I mean, it was just an all-around really struggle of a game from Houston, and which is unfortunate because I feel like they, they are better than this, even though – even without uh, Mark and Sasser, they, they are better than, you know, 44 points against Villanova. So that was kind of disappointing. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, struggle, you want to talk about our next game? <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, Texas women's, uh, their run ends in the elite eight against Stanford, uh, 59 to 50. And what I thought was a really fascinating game. And a lot of times people say the score is not as indicative of the, the final result. And while this game was closer than nine points, I feel like nine points is exactly how much better Stanford was in this game, just from a consistency standpoint. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go first, but you, your tweet where you, you said that the uh, Texas bigs were struggling, yeah. I thought that was pretty much the game because I, I, it's not only that they were struggling, it's that they were getting thoroughly outplayed as well. So much. So obviously it's hard to play – when you're facing, when you have to go against Cameron Brink, right? Like Cameron Brink, and she was in foul trouble for most of the first half. So like, and it didn't really bother them that much, but when she stayed on the floor, like it was like, they had no idea what to do. And then of course that opened up the driving lanes. And I mean, basically you finished, I mean, Lauren Ebo and Deanna Gaston finished with two combined points. Um, uh, Lauren Ebo played 38 minutes yeah. and it was 0 of 6 from the floor four fouls, three fouls for Deanna Gaston, like you're not going to win. You're just not going to win like that when you're, when your post plays like that. And Deanna Gaston had so many weird fouls where you're like, don't, don't go at that or don't do that. You know, um, Lauren Ebo really, really struggled to get anything going in the post. They tried to feed her a couple of times and she just couldn't get positioning. And it was just, yeah, it was bad. Um, Cameron Brink had I think finished with like six blocks um, for Stanford when she wasn't uh when she wasn't in foul trouble and i mean Haley jones and lexi hall like you know they just did their thing and 
Haley Jones, I think they did a decent job on her. Um, she needed, I believe, almost 20 shots. Uh, uh, she got about, yeah, she did, yeah, she needed about 20 shots. Almost, or actually, hold on, no, 11. You were four of 11 did. with 10 yeah. of 11 from the free throw line, though, which right, I she got count, the line. So there you go. I count free throws. Um, but, you know, she's a very, she's a very tough player to guard. She's a bigger wing. Um, so they couldn't really put Rory Harmon on her. Uh, RJ Warren, they kind of put her on her a little bit, but it was mostly, um, uh, uh, Joanne Allen Taylor that was on her and, and Aliyah Mathar. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I think, te- like I mentioned, I think Texas bigs are where they, where they kind of, where they really lost this game. I thought Rory Harmon took over when she needed to. Um, she didn't play her best game, but it was kind of a, I don't know, a, a, a typical Rory Harmon-ish game, not the best shooting, but she was aggressive, um, which I think is what I really wanted to see most. Um, Joanne Allen Taylor played fantastic. And I think Aliyah Matharu, eh, again, she didn't was kind of she didn't really play that much, and she really didn't score at all. Um, they could have used more from her, but I mean, I don't know. I think I watched this game mostly, and I'm like, if they had a if they had consistent post, and not even offensively, like I just think on both sides, like if they if 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 Lauren Ebo was not scoring but guarding Cameron Brink well or defending the paint well. I think I I excuse her lack of scoring or her struggles from the, from scoring, but she didn't give them that. Um, and I think I tweeted after the game was like, I think if Texas, depending on how Aaliyah Moore and Deanna Gaston develop, if they stay, you know, of course that's always a question with this yeah. current era. Um, I think if they develop a little bit more. Um, and then they add one more creator slash shooter, or if that's Kendall Hunter coming into her own and becoming that. I think you can basically run this exact team back. Obviously, Audrey Warren's probably gone, so that's you know that's a big loss defensively. But I, I don't. I think the, I think the holes are obvious for this team, and I think that kind of showed in this game. Yeah, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head uh, with Evo, and um, they they just I I don't know, and I I don't again we don't cover the team you know, on a day-to-day basis, but Aliyah Mantharu getting 12 minutes with zero points. And um, to, to, I mean, she went 0 of 2 from 3, so yeah, with two turnovers. Okay, cool. But at some point, it just felt like they needed her shooting, but they, they stuck with the, the same lineup the whole game, and yeah. it was Rory, Joanne, Audrey, uh, whoever they, they rotated players at the four in and out. Uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. it was more than there was um, Gaston. Like you said, they even put Lattimore in for a bit. And then it was Ebo at the five. I, th- I think it was a lot of it had to do with Stanford's obvious in, size. you know, size. Yeah. Like, you know, Joanne Allen Taylor was on Haley Jones and there was like a couple like entry passes to the paint where it was like, that's, that's chicken. Like that's bar. You know, like she, there, no offense to Joanne Allen Taylor. She's not defending Haley Jones in the paint in the post, you know? Yeah, so that, that that was the interesting thing to me is trying to figure out the rotations and it not be, not having Matharu be a weapon hurt, but Audrey Warren did go three or four from three, really three or three from three before her last second shot. I mean, so you got what you needed out of her. I think a big, big difference was the free throw disparity. Uh, sure. Texas goes 11 of 20. Uh, Stanford goes 18 of 22 we've we've talked about this teams like how a lot of times free throw free throws will determine texas games like you'll mm-hmm. tune into a texas game and it'll be like both teams have like 30 free throws and you're like okay who made more that's the team that probably won but 
And today that, I mean, and yesterday that was probably the case for the most part. I do want to say, if we get into just the, the breakdown of the game, Texas forced 20 turnovers and it looked early on, like it was going to be a repeat of that first game. Mm-hmm. It looks like, all right, defensive ball pressure, Stanford's guards are, are fine, but they're not like Rory Harmon. That's just going to like, okay, get out of my way. We're not turning the ball over here. Right. They, they threw the ball away a lot. And that's what Stanford's like biggest problem is to me is they rely on non playmakers and non passers to make plays and pass the ball a lot of times. And it's against Texas. That's not going to work against Texas. Again, they had 20 turnovers. I think last time they played, they had 20 turnovers. So it's like, you can't get away with that against Texas. And that was early on. I was like, okay, this is, this is what has to happen for Texas to win. Yeah. Now with that being said, they still weren't scoring enough early on to where I was like, okay, now I feel good because it felt like they were just kind of staying there tit for tat every time, every time buckets trading buckets with this team. And it's like, at some point Stanford's talent and Stanford's ability on, on offense and on defense, their size is going to take control of this game. And so when Texas didn't turn those turnovers into points as often as I think they needed to, that's where the game was kind of lost early on to me. And um, in the first to be down three going into halftime, I thought was, 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 was huge. Just, just huge because I thought that was when they won the game and they were losing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, good. I, you, you win the game plus 10 in the turnover battle and you, you hope that you can, find some some success they also ended up making two more threes in stanford like the, the uh, in theory this should have been the way to win against stanford mm-hmm. they just didn't convert from two well enough and they didn't make their free throws so that was really it. and also stanford got offensive rebounds 12 offensive boards which i thought was kind of the difference i mean rebounding wise it's it's not even close it's <clears throat> 45 to, to 28 right and so that's their size again yeah I think it's it's interesting how like the both the men and women Texas kind of end season ends similarly, right? Where it's like they play a team that's just bigger mm-hmm. and they suffer the consequences with free throw shooting, um, with unable to defend the post really, obviously in different ways. But I think that, you know, we saw a team in the men that really did not know how to figure out produce bigs. And Texas couldn't really, I don't want to say they couldn't figure it out, but late that's what kind of did them in was the size kind of all over the floor um and so stanford was able to hit you know some of these they didn't hit a lot of three they only hit three but like lexi hall was able to get freed late and got hit a big three that they needed cameron brink like of all people like i think all three i think all three of their threes came in the second half if i'm not mistaken and so like yeah i don't know i I think it is interesting that like and and again again the thing is like texas isn't they're not small but their perimeter is small um and Stanford, you know, Stanford is big all around. Like they're they're just kind of a tall team overall. And I think that I mean that just shows like the where Texas does have size is where they kind of fell flat in terms of like contribution. So um, I don't know. Again, that's two elite appearances now for Texas um, in, in Vic Schaefer's first two years. Fantastic runs. Um, and I think this I mean, the, the 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 positive. And again, we can again we'll do like you know retrospectives later but i think a positive you can take from this one is like this was supposed to be the year where they probably didn't right coming off last year you were like oh younger team you know about a lot of new faces this is where they maybe tail off a little bit well 
you know, now they can probably look to, you know, bring in potentially the freshman of the year back and kind of going forward and kind of using this as a, as a platform. Yeah. Um, like you said, Warren is a senior, uh, Evo is a senior, but other than that, I think, I mean, Joanne's a senior, right? Joanne Allen Taylor. Yes, I believe. Yeah, I believe. And the way she reacted after the last game, I think. Yeah. She's a senior. She's senior. So you have those three. Other than that, you have a lot of youth here. And so we'll, we'll like, we'll, we'll talk about it a lot moving forward. I'm really high on Aaliyah Moore. I think she can be really, really good. Yeah. Um, that is a player I'm, I'm excited about, but great season from Texas. Just uh, not quite enough here against Stanford and credit to Stanford. They are, they're just a, they're a really good team. Really, really good team. So we'll see if they can maybe dethrone South Carolina or not dethrone. They're the champs, but maybe if they can knock off South Carolina in the championship. Um, my women's bracket's not even looking good either. I think it's like in the 38th percentile. Oh my like goodness. That. I have not. I, I, my, my men's bracket's coming around. I swear to God, mine has to be. I haven't looked, but mine has to be in the mud. My, my men's bracket's coming around because I got, if I, if, if I would have hit on Arkansas coming through, which I was about to say, you took, you, you were riding high for a bit with that Arkansas pick. I was, I was feeling great. I'm now in the 70th percentile on the men's side because Villanova and Kansas, shout out to Villanova and Kansas uh, for doing it. Oh, but, I'm um, in the 51st percentile on the women's. The women, I'm 30, 31st percentile. I'm, I'm, I'm riding South Carolina's coattails right now. <laughs> yeah, South Carolina. I also had UConn. I honestly didn't even see that UConn won. Ooh, the, oh, they played today. I'm sorry. They played today. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they played today. I do have South Carolina over UConn in the title game. So, like, I'm still. Me too. I'm still. I still have my fingers crossed there. Me too. Uh, men, I do. I've, I've not checked because I just. I assume. Oh my God, I'm in the fourth. I'm in one of in one of mine. I'm in the 14th percentile. Uh, another the other one. I'm in my office one. I'm in the 64th. So I'm actually okay. okay that's not bad. My mom's in the 80th percentile. Oh jeez. In, in case you're wondering, just to make you feel yeah, bad. No, there, she she needs to get her on this podcast. See what she thinks about these games. <laughs> she obviously knows something that we don't. Right, so, right. Like damn. I think Kansas is my only Final Four team. <laughs> I didn't see. I don't even know. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why am I 14% in this one? I, what did I pick? I don't know what you picked. You picked Texas State, even though they're not even in the bracket. <laughs> just, they should have a write-in option. It's like Texas State. Oh, right here. All the Texas. Golly. Yeah, Texas oh, Southern be winning in the first round. Right. Um, all right, let's talk about the one Texas team that is still playing. I don't yes. even have a tab open on them, which is how disrespectful we are to Texas A&M, but Texas A&M men's basketball, I'm being told, is playing in the NIT semifinals. Yes, um, which is a big deal. I do not Madison want to make Square it Garden. sound like it's yeah. I don't want to make it sound like it's a, it's not a big deal because if North Texas was playing in it, that we would have let off the podcast with it, uh, or Texas State, we would have done it either way. But Texas A&M is in it, and yeah. they they've put together a really nice run here. Alcorn State win by 12. Oregon win by 15. The Wake Forest win by 15 is the most impressive because mm-hmm. going into that, Wake Forest was playing some really good basketball and they have a really, really solid team. And so for Texas A&M to put it on them 67 to, to 52 and in the first half go be up 32 to 15, I mean, it just says everything about this team. I feel like, again, 12, this is these are the points, 12, 12, 10, 8, 8, 6, 5, and then they just play defense. So they, they have their identity. They're playing well. They're playing meaningful basketball games. And 
it's just amazing because if I read through this roster, it's not, it's like, you know, a lot of teams, there's like tiers. Mm-hmm. I think I could go one through seven comfortably and just be like, all right, these are all just the top tier. I have no clue. Like, I'm not going to separate them, but like right. Jackson, Taylor, Radford, Obaseki, Coleman, Diara. I mean, yeah, even, oh, Gordon. I mean, that these are just guys that I just all consider to be really, really solid players. And so yes. with that being the case, uh, it's good to see them hit their stride and to, to I think they have a chance of winning. They're probably the favorites to win at this point. I was about to say, I, I mean, I'm trying to think who's on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, Washington State, yeah. and then the, the other side is St. Bonaventures, and um, are you looking it up? Xavier. Okay, I'm looking at it now. Xavier. Yeah, A&M's going to yeah, win this game. I, yeah, I was about to say, that's it's probably, you're probably looking at A&M, Xavier as like the favorite matchup. Um, I love that A&M's like validating like our like confused wonder about like if they were good or not. Mm-hmm. Right, it was like, ah, oh, is this team good? Maybe I don't know. They're doing pretty well. I mean, well. The results look at are the better. And then like, like they're and they're doing it in a way like, obviously they're you know playing great defense right now. And I think Buzz Williams' roster turnover has like worked wonders. Um, but they're also doing it like aside from Quentin Jackson and Tyrese Radford, who's a junior still, so he'll be back next year. But they're doing it with guys that are going to be here for like two or three years, like. You know, Manny Obaseki, Wade Taylor, like these are guys that are like going to be here and like that you're going to have to build off of. So like, I love, I love the fact that this team is so young and like still doing, still making this kind of run. Henry Coleman, I didn't mention him, he's a sophomore. So like these guys are going to be here and, and be like the the foundation for what they hope Buzz Williams eventually builds. And I mean, yeah, man, you're playing in Madison Square Garden. Like, did you see the news that they're probably going to leave? The NIT is going to probably like, that's, that would be the worst news. Outrageous. Awful. Like, it's like, oh, they want to move it to in, uh, what does it say? Like a rotated, they either like, they want like uh, a rotating or like put it in Vegas. And it's like, what? No, if they move it rotating, in my opinion, move it abroad or move it to Hawaii. Like give these guys like a destination location to play for, right? Don't move it to like, indianapolis like just, just like reuse the uh the the battle for atlantis in uh in, and just send them to the send them to the caribbean right just like, yeah exactly no 100 yes yeah, like turn the lights back on there please <laughs> we haven't used it in like three months <laughs> no but seriously like yeah i love the idea that like these guys are gonna get a chance to, you miss out on the tournament sure you know that sucks but you know get to play an msg baby um but no, I do love that this team's getting a chance to like really show what they do. And then like give AM fans like some sort of validation where it was like, no, no, we deserve to be in the tournament, right? We're gonna show how good we were. And um, so yeah, I'm hoping that they'll they'll get to do that because yeah, uh, this is it's really cool. And uh, we'll be obviously rooting for them um Tuesday they play, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, you mentioned earlier what a roller coaster season for this team throughout the non-conference, you're like, okay. I guess they're they're not great. Right. And then they hit conference play. They win four straight, I believe, right? Yeah, four straight start conference, including yep. a win over Arkansas. And we're like, okay, maybe they're good. And then they lose eight straight. And we're like, okay, they're bad. Mm-hmm. And then they win four straight and win three straight in the SEC tournament to, to make it the championship game. So we're like, okay, they're 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 good and they're gonna make the tournament. <laughs> then they don't make the tournament. So we're like, okay, that now the committee's telling us they're bad. Yep. And then they went three straight in the NIT and they're again, favored to win the NIT at this point, in my opinion. So right. um, it would be a huge, huge boost. And I also looked it up since 2013, we've had Baylor, 
So Baylor won in 2013, the NIT. Mm. TCU in 2017. Texas in 2019. Mm. The NIT is becoming a Texas tournament, in my opinion. Baylor also made it in 2009. SMU made the championship in 2014. Okay, okay. A&M said, it's our turn. Yeah. To get a title. Okay. Hang the banner. I, I don't... <laughs> I mean, they probably will actually hang the banner. No, they will. They will. <laughs> the NIT is actually that's pretty okay. good. Okay. That's okay. That is hangable. Bannerable. Bannerable. Bannerable, sure. Bannerable. Um, all right. Two coaching changes we've talked about. Yep. Uh, Rob, Rob Lanier to SMU from Georgia State. Mm-hmm. This is your conference. You know Georgia State yes. better than anybody. Uh, do you think this was a good hire? I think it was so like I, I was I'm a little surprised I guess it was this early because typically like I when I think of like a hire like this especially from a guy so I, I don't think he has ties to the state um and so typically you wait for like that breakout year right actually he does have ties he was he was an assistant for Rick Barnes um at Texas yeah. so there is some ties there um but typically you wait for that big that big breakout year, right? Where it's like, ooh, they, you know, Georgia State finished when, when they beat Baylor, right? Yeah. Um, I kind of thought Ron Hunter would be poached when they beat Baylor in the tournament that one year. Um, but they've been just kind of like steadily solid. And they ended the year really great, I should mention. Uh, they fin- obviously they won the Sun Belt. Um, they ended the year, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven game win streak and won nine of 10 basically since the end of January. So they ended the year fantastic. Um, and Georgia State's been a solid defensive team um, this year, but they're actually been a pretty awful defensive team this year, or offensive team, I should say. Um, I believe they ranked 345th in offensive field goal percentage. Um, yeah, another one. Add another one to the mix. Dude, they shoot. They, I think they might be last in two point percentage shooting. Like, I, I swear to God, I think they're trying to figure out where they are here. Georgia State. Uh, they are fourth to last. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, fourth yeah. to last. Sorry. So, point percentage. So yes, we're adding another great defensive, awful offensive team. Um, but granted, this it might have been an outlier because they've been they looked nationally average. I think basically through his tenure offensively. Yeah. Um, but it is like it is very much a a. a I don't know if it's a shift in what in, in what uh, it's kind of the ex-girlfriend thing where it's like Tim Jankovic has this, you know, offensive style and this team that plays a lot of fun and you let Kendrick Davis go wild. Everybody has a green light. And then you go, no, 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 no. We're reeling this back in. We're playing defense here now. I don't know. I don't think it's the worst. I don't think it's the worst move. I think I'm, if I'm, if I'm an SMU fan, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, Georgia State's not an easy job. Um, and so I think the fact that he, Ron Hunter and then him back to back keep kept them basically as a Sunbelt contender, I think says a lot. Um, I think the bigger news was that uh, Grant McCaslin said no, apparently, <laughs> um, reportedly. Um, so I think that's, I think it's obvious that he was a option B. Um, I think that SMU and UNT possibly being, or in the future being conference foes maybe set a lot into that um and i think unt maybe wanting to be considered an actual mid-major power said something about that because if you get poached by your rival who's going to be your conference rival soon 
probably some uh, some indications of of where your ambitions lie. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about the McCaslin thing from like falling and talking to people around like the program and North Texas and everything is it, it, a lot of stuff was reported before it actually happened, like on the SMU front. And so mm. it was like, oh, SMU's top target is McCaslin. And then there's like McCaslin, they never, they hadn't reached out to McCaslin. It's like for days they were like, it was like, okay, they still haven't reached out. They still haven't reached sure, out. Sure. So it was like waiting. I think now, I think at some point towards like before they hired Lanier, obviously, I, I think they reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was just funny to me. I was like, because it felt so early. And then I talked to people and it's like, no, he hasn't hasn't heard anything. He hasn't talked to anybody. I hasn't uh, had requested a, to an interview or anything like that yet. So I, I do think they they eventually did. But by that point, I think he was already like, no, it's OK. I'm just going to, I don't know. I don't want to say SMU acted too slowly, but that's what it felt mm-hmm. like to a degree. Like Jankovic was fired and then for days, nothing ever happened with McCaslin. And then all of a sudden Lanier's hired. And so I'm like, okay, like how serious were they really about McCaslin? Right. That's fair. I mean, like if, if you're, if you're SMU and, and he's your guy, right? Like he's down the road. You drive uh, over there. That he was like, you drive over there, like immediately after you tell Tim Jankovic. And then, like, you basically make him, you know, what, what I assume that Seton Hall has is Shaheen Holloway, which is like a behind the doors handshake, be like, hey, when you're done, you know, whenever you're done with the NIT, whenever you're done, whatever, like, you're, you're our guy. Um, so, yeah, I, it seems, yeah, it seems like, a, and I will say, like, it would have had to have taken a big offer too because you know Graham McCaslin's highest paid coach in conference USA so like they would have had to cross the million dollar mark easily um to prime away and he'll probably get he'll probably get that from UNT now um something close to that and yeah it does make you wonder like how serious was were they about that in terms of like making him in terms of really getting him as opposed to just putting it out that they wanted him right maybe it was like I don't know if they maybe wanted him to maybe push back a little bit to be or him to push his way out the door a little bit more if that was like maybe the indication where it was like hey you know he's our target and him to like maybe like reach you know to him show some mutual interest Mm -hmm. which really isn't his personality so like I don't think that I didn't know that wasn't a good strategy but um I don't know I think I think they they clearly had their top target and I think they clearly had their number two target who was Lanier um because they were pretty quick in a turnaround to 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 hire him after the news came out that McCaslin was staying exactly um, all right, Texas A&M women's uh, hires Joni Taylor, uh, mm-hmm. who was the head coach at Georgia the past seven years. And yeah. Georgia, obviously, I've only been in the SEC for one year, so um, I can only speak to how good they were this year. Um, but they were really, really solid this year. They ended up getting a six seed in the tournament. And then last year in 2021, she was the SEC coach of the year. And so for me, this has to be a money move, I think, like, maybe uh i i don't see under the, any other way because i shouldn't say that because texas a&m is a better job than georgia even i was gonna say like I, I think this is like a, a it is a step see into ceiling at georgia yeah so I'm, I'm i'm wrong i'm wrong there uh because i've just been hypnotized by the last year again i'm so right. new to the sec it's like oh okay yeah georgia's been good the past two years and a&m right. while they were good they, they they were awful this year uh, but no, the ceiling is definitely a lot higher at Texas A&M. So um, I, I do think this is a great, great hire because I wasn't, I didn't even know she was considering leaving, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see what she can do at, at Texas A&M. 
Yeah, there's a, uh, there's an article breakdown of, um, I think it was the, the next hoops.com where it talks about what we can kind of expect. Um, and I think one thing that I think is fascinating to me is the past couple of years has been Gary Blair kind of like establishing a very particular strength of the team, right? Last year was the size. This year was the perimeter and they kind of lacked size and lacked kind of that post presence. And uh, they mentioned, the article mentions how Joni Taylor's kind of a fan of positionless basketball and like how she's, she's, you know, she wants players who can do it all, defend, shoot three rebounds and shoot free throws and like kind of like have that well-rounded um, hybrid aspect to them. And so I wonder, one, I wonder how quickly she can probably implement that. Obviously in the transfer era, it's, you know, it's possible she can do something like that over, overnight. But I do want, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays um, because, you know, she made the big, 12, she made the, sorry, the SEC title game last year. Um, and so she knows obviously what that, what it takes to succeed in a very tough conference that's only getting better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if you're, if you're AM, I think you have to be really satisfied with this. You go get an established head coach in the conference that knows how to win. Um, I think she was a long time Georgia assistant since she's been there since 2011 and she took over in 2015 and she's played in, she's played in the SEC. She played from, she played for Bama. She's from Mississippi. Like she knows that region insanely well. And so, um, and I think if you're a Texas fan, you're happy that uh, you hired Vic Schaefer when you did, because yep, <laughs> that was that was probably the logical step before he made that move two years ago. Exactly. Um, I don't have anything else here, really. I I, I think it's a great hire. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just hilarious reading this Texas A&M press release of the uh, the transcript of the interviews, and it was the first word every time is "Howdy," "Good morning," "Howdy." Oh. And then, and then Coach oh, Taylor gets up there you, and she feels peer pressured into saying it. So she says, howdy. And I'm like, oh, dang it. This is not, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't, do they say howdy in Mississippi? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, it doesn't sound no, like it's, she, she sounded like it's she definitely was, like, it's definitely like the SID, like slipping, like, Hey, you might want to just say this. Yeah. It's definitely the Brian <laughs> Kelly Southern accent type thing. Don't, like, don't, don't ask questions. Just, just say this thing. Just go for it. <laughs> just go for it. Right. <laughs> they'll, they'll love it so um yeah she's only 43 years old too that's that's Mm -hmm. awesome that's awesome so congratulations to her we'll be interested in um covering her over the coming years maybe we can get her on a podcast we'll pull some strings Mm. i have no strings at texas a&m but maybe i was was like you know something i don't what's going on here (laughs) i mean yes point being yes we'll probably try to get her on this offseason we will try i'll be fascinated to see what she has to say try all right, that's all we have for y'all today. Uh, we hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, man, it's off season time. I know we gotta start reviewing seasons and doing do. disappointments oh. slash surprises and oh. all. Well, actually, we did disappointments. Oh, awards! Oh, awards. I still have the the awards. I actually taped them on to my wall right here. Some of them that we mentioned, but our, our random awards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our awards. Our yeah. awards. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I actually got to get to work on the actual all Texas awards. So. Yeah. You have like actual work to do. I'm just going to come up with BS like awards to, for us to, <laughs> to, to laugh about on the podcast. Uh, and then when you do the actual awards, we'll talk about those in the podcast. So that way we <laughs> right. like balance everything out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week. At some uh, at some point, probably after the final four, I guess. Um, yep. 
so we can put a bow on season and hand out some awards and all that good stuff. So uh, if you enjoy, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple and on Spotify. We appreciate y'all uh, joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at Ishmael R. Johnson and at Matt Bruni underscore. Uh, thank you all for joining us. And we'll talk to you all later.